From Times Square in Hong Kong, you're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Through its successes and reverses, our party has at last attained, under the leadership of Comrade Mao Zedong, the unprecedentedly high level of solidarity and unity it now enjoys, ideologically, politically, organizationally, and militarily. It is a party that will soon win victory, a party no force can conquer. That's an excerpt from a document published in 1945 titled Resolution on Certain Questions in the History of Our Party, under the direction of Mao Zedong. It is now known as a historical resolution, and this week, my colleagues and I on the China Desk have all been focused on the publishing of a new historic resolution. It is the third one in China's history, and like the two before it, it's not just about the history, but also about the future direction of China. Hello, and welcome to Inside China. My name is Mimi Lau, and it is great to be back talking to you from the podcast studio here in the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. In 1945, China had just emerged from both the Second World War as well as the Sino-Japanese War, which started in 1937. In 1981, China was still dealing with the aftermath of the Cultural Revolution, which had engulfed the nation from 1966 to 1976. Here we are in 2021, and China is facing a whole new range of challenges. A demographic time bomb in the wake of a one-child policy, a massive real estate bubble where the massively indebted property giant Evergrande threatens to collapse, and a generation of young people who are joining a movement known as Tangping, which translates to lying flat in protest against the structural and institutional inequalities in modern Chinese society. But first. Let me take you on a quick 60-second tour through the background of what's just happened in the last five days in Beijing. This week in Beijing, 348 members of China's Communist Party were in a closed-door session that is officially known as the Sixth Plenum of the 19th Central Committee. The plenum is held every year, but the sixth one is particularly important. This technically was a meeting before the meeting. This was where the senior leadership of the party makes the major decisions leading up to the 20th Party Congress, which is scheduled to be held on the second half of next year. It is held every five years and entails top leadership reshuffle and power transition. When I say senior leadership, the Central Committee is made up of provincial governors and secretaries, top ministers, military chiefs, the heads of propaganda departments. The Premier Li Keqiang and, of course, Xi Jinping. China's Communist Party is very, very mindful of the importance of history, and this year marks a hundred years since the birth of the Chinese Communist Party. There were previous historical resolutions being made at critical moments in history, where Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping wanted to consolidate their power and silence rivals and critics within the party. In 1981, the party had a sixth plenum, which resulted in an official verdict on the Cultural Revolution, which overtook China through the 1960s and the 1970s. The verdict was that it wasn't just wrong; 
It was responsible for the most severe setback and heaviest losses suffered by the people, the country, and the party since the founding of the People's Republic. And there was one person responsible for these setbacks and losses. Chief responsibility for the grave left error of the Cultural Revolution, an error comprehensive in magnitude and protracted in duration, does indeed lie with Comrade Mao Zedong. So let's head to Beijing and find out exactly what has been issued in China's third historical resolution. Mai Jun is the China Desk News Editor and is Beijing right now. Hello, Mimi. Good to be here. Thank you, Mai Jun. Last night, you listened through the last session of the Sixth Plenum, and then you also attended a press conference this morning. Could you tell us what did you learn last night and this morning? What was the main digest of it? We were expecting the third historical resolution by the Communist Party. So the Communist Party uh, does not do that too often. So we were sort of expecting some sort of like really major announcement, like something that would be uh, very consequential in the decades to come, or just some very clear marks of, um, you know, uh, um, which policy line China is going to take in the next five or 10 years. But it seems like the the resolution was very vague on policy term. Um, But actually, it was, um, it was just a very brief uh, summary. Uh, what actually we have not yet seen the full text of the resolution yet. What we saw last night was a communicate that sort of like a it was a summary of the resolution. And according to the summary, the resolution seems to be like um, a general discussion about the achievement of the party in the past a hundred years, and um, it gives a lot of space to deal with you know the party's achievement under Xi Jinping and um, sort of paving the way for um, his legitimacy to rule for um, more terms. What is also interesting is I think this resolution is fairly different from the past two resolutions in party history, the first one being in 1945 and the second in 1981. Uh, Both of the, the previous two resolutions aim to tackle specific historical matters in the party and the purpose of those resolutions were to learn the steps in the previous decade or two uh, so that the parties could sort of correct its course and, you know, and carry on. But I think this resolution, looking at the communique, we get the feeling that uh, it was just mostly reviewing the achievement of the Communist Party, but it almost did not touch on uh, any specific major mistakes. What happened last night was pretty general, um, you know, outlying the historical achievement of the party under the past hundred years, especially under Xi's leadership since his rose to power in 2012. But you also attended a press conference this morning, uh, which I understand that would be something more specific has been announced. Could you run us through that as well? Basically, there were uh, a couple of uh, senior Communist Party officials um, at the press conference today, and um, uh, more than half of them were in the actual room when that plenum took place. Um, so they were in the morning, they were giving us like a more background and context of why the resolution was drafted in this way. Uh, for instance, uh, Wang Xiaohui, the deputy head of the Central Propaganda Department, uh, told us that the historical context of this resolution is actually very different from the previous two. And they told us that, you know, the reason why 
uh, the the current resolution did not touch on the, um, a lot of the mistakes by the party is because most of those major mistakes, if we think about mistakes uh, uh, during the early forms of, of the revolution, mistakes committed by uh, Mao during the Cultural Revolution, those kind of major mistakes have already been uh, taken care of by the previous two resolutions. And the conclusions reached by those two documents still apply today. So he was explaining why this resolution might look a little bit different uh, from the previous two. Does it come as a surprise to you that they omitted any mention of the 1989 Tiananmen Square crackdown, it did not surprise me. I think I think um, things like um, the what happened in 1989. I think Beijing has always looked at it as like a major embarrassment. Whenever you ask them about it, they would briefly tell you that it's sort of correct. Uh, it's sort of necessary to defend China's political system and China's development path. Um, but I think they never wanted to go beyond you know, two lines in explaining what really happened. Um, what is also interesting about the uh, uh, Tiananmen incident is um, they didn't even use the phrase 1989. I think the standard uh, phrasing of the party is political storm that happened at the end of the 1980s. For a lot of, you know, common Chinese, when you read that phrase, you know, I would I would say that very few people would actually understand that they were actually talking about the 1989 incident. Hey, it's Jasmine, one of the SEMP podcast producers. We've got a brand new podcast newsletter called Listening Post. You'll be able to read about our latest episodes from Inside China and China Geopolitics. We're also going to include reviews of other podcasts from around Hong Kong and around the world that we've been listening to. And we'll bring you highlights from SEMP Podcast Archive, from food, technology, to deep dives and feature stories. Listening Post launches next Friday on November 19th. Sign up now at scmp.com newsletter, or just click the link in the podcast description. Can I just recap a little bit what we just talked about? Um, that the last historical resolution issued in 1981 under Deng Xiaoping that dealt with certain historical events. And this third resolution is different in many ways because it more focused on the historical achievement of the party in the past hundred years, especially the achievement under President Xi Jinping since his rise to power in 2012. So when are we to expect this formal release of the document. To be honest, we don't know. I, I think it's uh, it's always fascinating to me how the party would, uh, after such plenums, they would hold a press conference on the next day uh, after the plenum closes. But they would always wait for another four to five days before they releases um, the full text of the of the document. So, uh, in one line, I do not know when to expect. Uh, uh, when, when to expect to see the full text of the resol resolution. Um, but it, it usually it takes a, about another four to five um, days. The last uh, historical resolution in 1981 has something like more than 30,000 characters. And I'm also curious about uh, whether the party would tell us more about how the document was drafted, how it was composed, um, because if history tells us anything, usually it takes a long time for such a resolution to be uh, to be written. The first resolution in 1945 actually took four years. 
before it was uh, uh, it was completed and finalized. And the second resolution took something like uh, close to two years. I'm very curious about you know how when exactly do they decided to draft such a resolution? I think those details we might have a better idea about you know what's the historical or political significance of this document. The tone of this resolution has been reported as symbolically raising Xi Jinping's status to that of Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping. Um, but what does that mean in reality, if we are to explain this to to laymen? It's a pretty predictable that it gives Xi Jinping quite a high um, a historical standing. I mean, that's the entire point of the resolution. But I was also somehow relieved to see some other contradicting signs. You know, um, for instance, you know, uh, they divided the 100 years of Chinese history into four periods. And, and the first period is the revolution period. The second period is the uh, socialist construction period. So basically, Mao sort of took up the first two periods. So the third period is the reform and opening up policy. So he they managed to uh, stuff all of Deng Xiaoping, Hu Jintao, and uh, Jiang Zemin into that uh, f- uh, third period. So Xi Jinping takes up uh, the, the fourth period, which is the new era, what Beijing is called. And second, um, I think there were, of course, languages that, you know, uh, highlighted Xi's personal significance, but actually compared to the language of the communique uh, last year, the language about Xi's personal uh, uh, significance, you can argue, I mean, you can have a debate about, you know, which one is worse and which one has gone further, uh, because I remember clearly that in last year's communique, there was a line that says something like, we got through all the difficulties and remembered it was the beginning of COVID. It was the beginning of, you know, the entire uh, sea change attitude globally towards China. And, you know, at the end of that year, there was this plenum and said, we got through all this because uh, she is the core of the party and he's taking helm of the, the party and the country. We did not see those languages in the communique. This year. There were also some contemporary references, including Hong Kong, um, Taiwan, the pandemic and the poverty elevation. Can we also get you to talk about what you learned in those aspects as well? I think what we are referring to as um, uh, contemporary here is it seems like these events are being treated as uh, also history under uh, the rule of Xi Jinping. Let's hear the official mention of the communique in relation to Hong Kong and Taiwan. These moves have helped to restore order in Hong Kong and ensure a turn for the better in the region. All this has laid a solid foundation for advancing law-based governance in Hong Kong and Macau and for securing steady and continued success of the one country, two systems policy. We uphold the one China principle and the 92 consensus. We firmly oppose separatist activities seeking Taiwan independence. We firmly oppose foreign interference. We have maintained the initiative and ability to steer cross-strait relations. I was not too surprised to see this under the the passages uh, dedicated to Xi. Um, I think it just reflects 
like the broader uh, term by the Communist Party, especially in the past two years, to sort of repackage itself as a nationalist party. So anything that uh, serves the purpose of making the party look strong, uh, make, uh, you know, making the Chinese people look strong, um, you know, this kind of nationalistic narrative. And usually in nationalistic uh, narratives like these, things like sovereignty, things like national security, these issues matter a lot. So I think, you know, Hong Kong and Taiwan, unfortunately, uh, fell into this category. Does this communique give any new surprises on Xi Jinping's thoughts? Not really. I, I think, I think um, because, you know, the Xi Jinping thought was written into the party constitution uh, in 2017, and it was written in the state's constitution uh, in 2018. So there were some speculations about, you know, the, the renaming of the Xi Jinping thought, because right now the full name is like a very a tongue-twisting phrase, which is Xi Jinping's thought for uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics for the new era. So people were speculating whether uh, in this resolution, uh, his thought would simply be shortened to Xi Jinping thought, which actually gives him the sort of the similar amount of historical uh, uh, significance compared to the Mao Zedong thought. But actually that did not happen. Um, uh, instead, the re- resolution uh, just give him uh, give him some, like, uh, of course, there were some uh, serious compliments about his thoughts, saying that his thoughts is actually the Marxism of the 21st century and the Marxism of contemporary China. But still, what does it mean? I think it's still a little bit too early to tell what those languages would mean. Like, I, I think the breakthrough is not as significant as in 2017 or 2018 when his thought was written into the um, party constitution and the state's constitution. But like maybe we'll see uh, uh, other signs in the near future, or maybe we'll see it in a couple of days when they release the full text of the resolution. Thank you so much, my dream, for your time and your digest and takeaway of this important political event in Beijing that is leading up to the 20th Party Congress. We look forward to bringing you back um, for more in-depth political analysis happening in China. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for this week's special edition of Inside China. You will find all the analysis and reaction to the Sixth Plenum and the historic resolution on scmp.com, as well as all the other news happening across China and around the world. Thank you for listening. I'm Mimi Lau. Bye-bye.